Director of Ministry Outreach for Pepperdine University. And at the moment, I'm surrounded by water, wind, and fire. The water is, of course, the Pacific Ocean, a beautiful backdrop for us every day at Pepperdine. The winds this week have alternated between the chilling breezes that come off the Pacific and the rare but often dangerous Santa Ana winds that come swooping over the mountains to the east. And behind me in the distance, smoke from the Thomas fires in Ventura County, already one of the most damaging wildfires in California history. Water, wind, and fire, which happen to be three of the primary images in the New Testament for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the living water that wells up within us with the life of God. It's the wind that God causes to blow to bring renewal to us. And it's the fire that stokes renewal and restoration within the lives of individual Christ followers and collectively within the people of God. 2018 is a special year for us at the event now called Harbor, the Pepperdine Bible Lecture, because it's our 75th anniversary. And for a special year, we have a special theme, the Spirit-filled people of God. We will open up Tuesday night with Rick Ashley challenging us to be attentive to the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And we'll close Friday night with Dan Rodriguez asking us to open our eyes to the missional impulses of the Holy Spirit, that force who sends us out in the work of God. Well, you can find all the information you need to register online, but we want to invite you to come join us May 1 through 4, 2018, as we explore that theme, the Spirit-filled people of God. thinking through the morning, realizing you were playing that, and it hit me. I was wearing the same sweater. And I thought, I don't want them thinking that poor guy only owns one outfit. So I pulled over about the place you got. You and I had lunch the other day, yanked that sweater off. And uh, I came from Texas yesterday where it was 27 degrees, so I, I realized you don't need a sweater here really for anything. But uh, uh, we, we do want to invite you to, the, to Harbor here at the beginning of May, my colleague, and boss, Rick Gibson, best boss in the world, and coincidentally the man who signs my paycheck is here today, and uh, we, we would love to have you come join us as you can. Th there's another project that he and I are leading, uh, a new book, Lilies, Endowment Gifts. It has to do with ministers thriving in their ministry. Uh, a Barna poll recently showed that the average age of senior ministers has gone up by about 10 years. The average senior minister is 55 years old. Part of that is because it's so many have left wounded. So we've been charged by the Lilies Endowment with, with thinking about what brings health to ministry. And one of the joys for me today is to know how much Lars and Brian are loved by the church. Uh, I've heard it from those who are older, and I heard it from a couple girls in high school today. One of them said she's watched him grow up, and I, I, I love that. And some of you watched him grow up the first time around. But I, I do love to see a church where ministers are allowed to be real-life human beings, and together we seek to be the body of Christ. So I want to affirm that and thank you for that. 
the sweet zone in my life right now uh, to be able to invest a little more fully with, with Pepperdine. Uh, six years ago, I thought I was done with ministry. I had preached 20 years in Abilene and um, was out. And then a church in Midland, Texas said, would you come preach eight weeks? Uh, they were in a bit of a crisis, and I said, okay, I'll do that. And then they said, would you do eight more? And then they said, how about a year? And then how about another year? And then they said, would you mind just being our senior pastor? So I did that for four years, and it ended last month in December. I thought it ended really well. Uh, however, two weeks later, I was preaching in Seattle, and right before I got out, my phone starts blowing up, and it's all my friends at that church who could not wait to tell me they were announcing the new minister's name that day. I knew that was happening. But the elder who announced it got up and began by reading Acts 1, I kid you not, which is about the replacement of Judas Iscariot. And I thought, well, maybe it didn't end as well as I thought. I don't think that's the part he was focusing on, but it is what it's about. All right, today, his name's the 13th word and the 16th word. I say every day. Part of that is because I am a deeply annoying morning person. And my wife, over the 40 years of our marriage, has made it clear that I am not to speak to her. Just because I'm up and have had my third cup of coffee. She's a teacher. Her alarm goes off at 5.30, but I've been up a long time by then. And the other part of the story is that I found out I'm not a good prayer. And so rather than just try to pray each morning, I, I borrow each morning from the tradition of the church. And so my morning begins by speaking four pages of prayer. Not because, again, not because I'm a great prayer warrior, but because I'm, I'm a bit of a toddler. But every morning, the first words I speak are, Father God, creator of heaven and earth, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then the 16th word, God of Israel. Just two names, the kind of pre-wrestling name and the post-wrestling name, as you remember that Jacob wrestled with God. And so this morning, let's begin by reading from Genesis 28. I invite you to open your, your tablets, your Bibles, or I believe it'll be on the screen. Genesis 28, beginning in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the stone that the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. They're above it, said the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you'll spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. 
I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. When Jacob awoke from his dream, he thought, surely the Lord's in this place, and I wasn't aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and put it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Oh God, today, I pray that this ancient story may live fresh in our church and in our hearts. May it open our eyes to see the electric presence of your being in this world. And toward that end, O oh God, please pour through me now the gift of wisdom. We pray in the name of the one who is himself the stairway to heaven, Jesus Christ. So he says in the middle of the story, how awesome is this place? This is the house of God. This is heaven's gate. And if you read that and you had it out of context, you would think, wow, where is he? Jerusalem? Is he going into the holy temple? Anachronistic though that would be. Is he in little town of Bethlehem? Is he in Nazareth? Is he in Capernaum? What, what great biblical town is he in? And the answer to that is none of the above. Oh, it became Bethel. He calls it Bethel, meaning the house of God, which becomes the second most named city of the Old Testament behind Jerusalem. But at the time, did you notice what it said? It was just a, just a certain place. It was a spot to put a stone. It could have been the aisle at Costco or the checkout at Walgreens or the corner of 3rd and Lugnut in any said Joaquin Valley town. On a 500-mile journey, by the way, from the south, from Beersheba to the north, back to Haran. 500 miles, he's on the way, and somewhere along the way, his head is ready to hit the ground. He puts a stone down because he skedaddled out of town rather quickly. We'll explain why, and he crashes. Now, why is Jacob on this journey? Well, he's running to something, and he's running from something. What he's running to is Haran where his people come from because, not to put too fine a point on it, his mother was not very excited by the potential daughter-in-law pool down in Beersheba. Some of you have experienced that, right? If you go to school in Texan, in Texas, but do not marry a Texan, come back and marry a good California boy or girl. And I trust, trust me, it works the other way, too. Not one of those scary Californians come back to Texas. It's one of those, don't marry one of these Hittite women. No, no, no. Go back. Go back and marry a cousin. So he's on his way to good old Uncle Laban's house to find a wife. That's why he's going to Haran. 
But more significantly, he's running from Beersheba. And he's running from Beersheba because his twin brother Esau has put a hit out on him. It's a vendetta that's personal and that goes all the way to the bone. And I think you know most of that story. You know that Rebecca, the mother, had been barren for 20 years. And finally, when she's pregnant, she's got twins. And the text says, almost playfully, that the boys are in the womb poking each other. They're jostling. Now, you've seen kids poking each other like that, but in the womb? So she complains to God, why are these children jostling in my womb? And God answers her and says, because you have two nations in your womb which I think is really more than most pregnant women want to hear, right? Feel big already. Something significant going on. And then it's time to be born. And in our culture, no big deal. One comes out first, the other comes out second. You almost forget what time this is in. But in their culture, there's a lot at stake on who crosses the finish line first. They become the master of the house. They become the one in charge. They inherit most of the possessions. They get the birthright, the blessings, all of those things. And so, again, almost playfully, it pictures a race to the finish line. And at the last minute, as Esau starts to cross, Jacob reaches up. And what does he do? Do you remember? Grabs his heel. And so they name him Heel Grabber. That's what Yaakov, that's what Jacob means. Little heel grabber. I wonder how that played in kindergarten. Oh, he's a deceiver. Dreamer. Riverboat dreamer. Oh, he's got a shell game going on. Well, they kind of gravitated to different parents. One became a daddy's boy and one a mama's boy. Not in the endearing ways that sometimes, you know, we joke about. But in the other way, they put the dis into dysfunction. Esau became daddy's boy. He was never happier than we had a loaded 12-gauge and subscribed to Field and Stream magazine. He liked to be outdoors. Jacob was mama's boy. He liked to be inside. He's watching Rachel Ray on the Food Network and jotting down recipes from the newest Bon Appetit magazine. And they watch out for their own child as a kind of alliance. There are two things, two advantages that Esau had, and both were taken away by his twin, the birthright and the blessing. The birthright means that he's going to inherit the vast majority of the estate. He'll be the master of the estate after his father Isaac. But you remember how that works. He's out hunting and one day he comes in famished and his brother's inside making a stew. And in one of the all-time worst trades in history, he exchanges the birthright for a bowl of stew. Centuries later, the writer of the book of Hebrews said, don't be a fool like Esau who traded the birthright for food. So he loses the birthright. And then years later, near the end of Isaac's life, Isaac wants to pass the blessing. And I wonder if Isaac's thinking back through the blessing of his life, the, the blessing of coming at such an old age of his parents, of being named Yitzchak, Isaac, meaning laughter, because everybody laughed when they found out that this old couple was having a baby. 
if you think back to the day that his father had taken him and had offered him as a sacrifice before God the Father. But he tells Esau, you go out and hunt and bring something back. And while he's gone, mom, Rebecca, jumps in gear. She wants her son to get the blessing. And so she says, go kill a couple goats. Come in, I'll make food. And then you go in. And Jacob says, look, I'm afraid dad will think I'm tricking him because my brother is hairy. Now, that's ironic. He doesn't mind tricking his dad. He doesn't want to be called a trickster, though. I know people like that. They, they don't mind lying. They just don't want to be called a liar. And so mother's got that covered, too. She, she brings some goat skins and covers him in goat skin, which makes me wonder how hairy is Esau if it takes goat skin to fool dad. But he goes in. Dad feels, smells, tastes. And he offers the blessing. And in that culture, your word meant something. There are no take backs. So the blessing intended for the oldest goes to Jacob. Keep in mind, these boys are grandsons of Abraham. The blessing of God to restore a people, create a people for the sake of the world, that's going to be passed from Abraham to Isaac and then not to Esau, but to Jacob. And Esau comes back from the field and he sees what's gone down. He takes the hourglass of time, turns it over, and Everybody in the story can feel the grains of sand. He says, when dad dies, I'll kill him. Jacob seeing the pain of his father's life starting to drop, grabs things quickly and is out of there. So that brings us to this, what the text says is just a certain place in the journey. It's a, it's a nowhere, it's not a, it's not a place of a pilgrimage, it's, it's not a holy ground as we think of holy, it's not some big sacred spot. It is bleak, and yet he discovers that this little nowhere place is electric with the presence of God. And I'm guessing some of you have had that happen in your life before, where you just kind of forget about everything spiritual for a little bit, and all of a sudden your eyes are open and you realize that the world is electric with the presence of God. And that that old breakdown between sacred and secular just doesn't work. Yes, God's here in our assembly and he's loving us and present with us, but he's out there right where you go to school and where you work and in my neighborhood all of the time. Just recently. It's funny because... Even a schemer and a stealer dealer like Jacob goes to sleep and loses a little bit of that control. And it's in that dream that he has this image of a ladder or a ramp or some translations, and more significantly Led Zeppelin, say stairway that comes from heaven. He looks in the stairway. Angels are, what are they doing? Look at the text. They're not descending and ascending. They're doing just the opposite. They are ascending and descending, meaning they were here all along. They started here. They're moving up and down the ladder. And the other thing to know is this, this stairway rests 
on the earth because it's not a stairway to heaven. It's a stairway from heaven. Back in the 70s, some of you are old enough to remember, there was a kind of wild minister who went public to say that there, if you played Stairway to Heaven, Led Zeppelin song backwards, it had back bad lyrics. I still love Robert Plant responded to that and said, we didn't know that. Our record player only goes one way. Turns out there was heresy in that song, though. It wasn't a stairway to heaven. It's a gracious stairway that comes from heaven. Every world religion's got stairways somewhere in their, the telling of stories, but most of them are stairways that we're building. Yeah, I can build a stairway to God. That's the Genesis 11 story, the Tower of Babel. Just let me get my life a little better. Let me get my marriage just a little better. Let me get my doctrine just a little better. And rung by rung, higher, higher, I'm climbing up to the presence of God. But it's not how the story goes. It's not a stairway to heaven. It's a stairway from heaven. Now, there's something in me that wants to build that stairway. I want to build the one up there. Just let me build it. I'll bring Chip and Joanna in. They'll fix it up. It'll be a fancy, wonderful stairway. No, no. God picks the ladder down. He picks the stairway. And when Jacob looks up and finds there's nothing, God's peeking over him. And he's not going... You nasty little liar. He's not speaking to God who knows all. Looks at Jacob and blesses him. And says, through the, through the very life you have broken and messed up though it is, through that very life, I will bless you also. Jacob in his dreams gets this deep, Bone deep blessing, and it's out of that blessing that he's going to live his life. It's amazing. It becomes this little nowhere place, becomes what Celtic Christians called a thin place. That place where whatever gap we may imagine between heaven and earth becomes very thin. I'm guessing most of you have places like that, maybe it's a little corner of a cemetery. I go sit out by my daughter's gravestone. And that gap between heaven and earth is very thin. For some of you, it's maybe a favorite fishing spot where you get up early in the morning and you drink coffee so strong it's like sucking on Kona coffee beans. Maybe you've got a chair at home where you sit in the morning. And you just think about the day and you pray and maybe read scripture. Some place in your life where you realize that God is here and he is with me and he is blessing me and I will live out of that blessing. Life meets fog hits. John chapter 1. And this story is echoed there. Jesus announces something to Nathaniel that really impresses Nathaniel. And Jesus says, look, you're going to see way more than this. If you have your Bibles, it's John 1, 51. Jesus says, you're going to see way more than that. You are going to see the heavens open and the angels. It's right out of Genesis 28. You'll see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. 
not to the Son of Man, on him. He is the stairway from heaven. That's what John's gospel is about. That which bridges the gap, that portal with God Almighty is Jesus Christ. If you use the image of Narnia, he's the wardrobe, the portal that takes you into Narnia. If it's Harry Potter, he's platform nine and three-fourths. He's the way you get to Hogwarts. He is this portal that God has offered us since. Church, historically, doesn't care a lot about how you feel about all of this because how do I know from day to day how I'm going to feel? It's trusting that God is present daily in Jesus Christ. That this stairway from heaven has brought the blessing of God into this church and into my life. And it's part of why your presence in this community is so vitally important. Because people need that good news. That their lives are not just these secular lives without God anywhere. But that Jesus is here and among them and living through you for the blessing of the world. But one word in the text that always touches me. Verse 16. Jacob said, surely the presence of the Lord is here. I was just unaware. That word unaware is such a chilling word, isn't it? it? It's the word that kills relationships a lot of time. You just, you get on, life is busy. Here's a career, here's a career, here are the kids. And we get going and we just suddenly were unaware. We, we forgot. I think back through 40 years of marriage, I'm sad about the times that the rat race was so fast, I was just unaware of the blessings of my beloved. And then there are those times that you're not unaware. And we had one of those in church recently where we had the kids between us, the grandkids, the granddaughters just sitting between us in our hands at each other and we smile and she leans over to me and she says these girls are my reward for not killing each other and I I know that to be true I know that to be true I deserve killing many times but wouldn't it be wonderful just to live aware see the people around you, to see your friends and your co-workers and your neighbors. If you're married, to see your spouse, to see your parents, your children. And even more, I think this text invites us to walk through life with our eyes open to realities that sometimes we just easily neglect and forget. Turn a cheek in our imagination to the top of the stairway. And to see God affirming you and blessing you. And to know I get to live this day and this life out of the deepest blessing of my creator. so grateful today, God, for the stairway from heaven, Jesus Christ. May our eyes be open to see 
how we live in your blessing through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit every day. And now I pray for these dear brothers and sisters. May they not be unaware. May they live out of the sense of your blessing. We're all on this journey somewhere between Beersheba and Haran. And we, we can enumerate all of our failures. And yet in the midst of that, through the blessing of Christ, we receive today your grace. And with joy, we anticipate living this week out of that deepest sense. 